Here it is. Again. <laughs> and it's cold. I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. And Devo plays for Muffy's party. We bring you an act who at first may shock you. Let's go! Hey, everybody. I'm Joseph. And I'm Rob. Welcome to another bonus episode of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, the history of punk, post-punk, and new wave, 1976 to 1986. Of course, we're in the middle of our break right now, and we promised you guys that we would throw something out uh, for you to listen to during this month. So we have this really special episode lined up for you, okay? Um, it's all on the Boston scene, and this music is is pretty cool. So I think the way we need to start it off, though, is is maybe with the Boston band. How about we, we take a listen to The Cars with Don't You Stop? Right here, So, Rob, you ready to get an education tonight? I am. I'm ready to be schooled on the Boston scene. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm super excited about it. Uh, the cars, just a little little taste, I think, for most people when you talk about Boston bands, like as far as punk and new wave go, uh, that's one of the first, if not the first band that pops to mind. Um, so I, I can't wait to, to jump into it and introduce our guest uh, for, um, you know, listeners who pay who have paid attention in the past. They can probably guess who it is, but um, I'm super excited uh, that he's back. But first, a couple of uh, points of business. Uh, uh, I want to remind everybody that... Um, uh, this is an opinion show. Oh, we are talking about music. Music is art, and there is nothing more subjective than art. So we will be giving our opinions about this music, but we try to be mindful not to get too opinionated because ultimately the show is intended as a celebration of this really extraordinary music that was produced in a very unique time in history. Uh, and the other point of business is um, just to remind everybody that we are on our summer break. Next month, we're going to jump back into our regular schedule as far as uh, November of 1978, uh, which uh, I'm really excited about talking about. But because of the um, holiday weekend because of Labor Day. Uh, next month, it'll actually be the second and fourth Sundays of the month. And then after that, we'll go back to our regular first and third Sundays of the month. So a little messy. Uh, and I thank all of you for bearing with us. 
Okay, Rob, let's talk about the Boston scene. Hey, so I'm also really excited because I have to say, uh, tonight we have with us Michael Greco. He's the creator of Punk, the book Punk, Post-Punk, New Wave, On Stage, Backstage, and In Your Face. Now, we had Michael on the, the podcast already when we uh, we did, uh, was it Devo? Devo. Yeah, and and Michael taught us so much, but Michael also is a is a a vast well of knowledge that we <laughs> we want him to come back and teach us more. So Michael's really big on the Boston scene. Did a lot of his work there, photographing uh, all these awesome bands. So I I'd, I'd like to introduce him. Everybody, welcome, Michael Greco. Hey, Michael. Hey, hey, Joseph and Rob. Thank you so much. I want to thank our audience for uh, for being here today. And uh, you know, this was my this was my arrive in college and be fascinated by the local, you know, the local music scene in Boston, the Rat Scaler, and it was our version of uh, CBGB's, basically. Um, the Rat was sort of the same feel and had all of the, you know, the edgy local punk and new wave bands in the day. Yeah, so um, I am, I am super excited that you're back. Uh, when, during the, the, uh, Devo episode, we had so much Devo to talk about that we never really got a chance to dive into your book um, as much as Rob and I wanted to. So sure. I'm hoping that we will get um, a little bit more of a chance to talk about that um, as we go along because it is uh, both Rob and I have been living with it for several months now. And um, it's just just about every icon of the punk and new wave movement from the from the late '70s and early '80s makes an appearance in in your book, um, and so I'm just super excited that you've been generous enough to um, come back and share more of your knowledge with us, Mike. Oh, this is just. This is just a lot of fun. So I really enjoy it. I get to go from photographer to uh, to DJ. So <laughs> there um, you go. Yeah. Uh, a lot of I mean, a lot of the people in punk, post punk, new wave were big, like international acts, big acts, you know, um, from England and things like that. So not all of these local bands are covered, it, photographically speaking, in uh, in the book. But a lot of them are, you know, there's, um, um, well, as we get through the songs, I'll talk about it. So uh, the first song I picked was sort of the anthem, um, the Dirty Water from 1966 by the Shondells. And radio stations like WBCN would always play that, you know, that little clip, ah, Boston, you're, you're my home. Um, but it was just classic, and of course they've got sort of the style of <clears throat> they've got sort of the style of that '60s garage rock um, sound that was, you know, was a great song, really great song. Well, I love that dirty wall. 
thought I'd be listening to the Shandells on this podcast. No, but, me either. <laughs> but, you know, like Michael said, we have to play them because uh, Dirty Water's that Boston anthem. And I yeah. mean, they shout out to Boston. So it's, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's cool because you it, it speaks to the affection towards this town. Uh, yeah, I must be noted, um, Shandell's not a Boston band. They were an L.A. band. And um, this, my understanding, when, when I saw we were going to talk about this, I went and did a little bit of research on it. Not, not a, like, straight-ahead, sincere love note to Boston. Um, my understanding is it's, it's, it was written in a pretty snarky, um, uh, as far as their attitude about Boston. You know, what's interesting is Wiki calls them the Standells, and Spotify has them as the Shondells. So we actually just took a little pause, looked it up. It is the Standells. Um, so good. It's good that we, uh, we get the name of the band, correct. We, we, we have a fairly low bar as far as the standards go, but, but that's one of them is that we get the band name correct. <laughs> awesome. So that is, um, one of the most, um, familiar songs that we're going to hear tonight. Um, so Michael, this playlist, this is 99% curated by you. And we've got, we, we're really doing the, the deep cuts part of, of deep dives and deep cuts tonight, which I'm so excited about Rob, how many, how, what percentage of these bands were you familiar with before, uh. um, we started? Well, um, taking a look at them now, I will be honest here, and I'll say uh, I think I knew of maybe three, um, yeah, <laughs> including yeah. the band that we just a song that we just heard. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm about I, I I was about at four or five, uh -huh. um, so I'm so excited. I mean, we are some some of the bands that we're going to talk about tonight never actually released a proper um, LP. There were just a series of singles or EPs. So so this is really exciting. Thank you, Michael. We're, we are going to hear some stuff that probably I would have gone my entire life without being aware of if it wasn't for you. Right. But yeah, it, to me, it's a, you know, I did a combination of, of bands and things that were endemic to the Boston scene, but also then things that were like, like really good, you know, it's, yeah. you know, yeah. things that, you know, uh, um, on some of the tracks where you wish the band was more successful, uh, you know, and, and, and was really more um, visible in the national scene. Yeah, so I, I think we're making a mistake here by assuming that um, everyone who's listened has listened to the Devo episode. Um, and maybe let's just circle back for a second and spend a, just a minute, Michael, talking about your history as far as growing up with this music so you were a teenager 
teenage photographer who started going to these shows, right? Yeah, I went to, uh, you know, I was a jazz listener as a kid because I was very, I grew up in New York and I was very much against the pop bands, right? The all the hair bands, you know, I would listen to Bowie, I would listen to Iggy. I loved Roxy Music, I thought they were musically uh, brilliant. Um, Really a big fan of the Velvet Underground and Lou Reed, but that was about it. I was really not into rock. You know, when Patti Smith came out, that was, you know, she was also to that short list. But I was really into jazz, and then, and, and particularly because, you know, the record industry and what was, uh, AOR, you know, album-oriented rock stations, which is how we used to get our music back then. Um, really, um, you know, it was a fix, right? They, you, you, you paid payola. The record companies produced, overproduced, non-sincere kind of non-authentic music, and you know, radio wasn't very interesting. And then you get to Boston and right down the street, you know, I went to college at at Boston University. I was studying photojournalism and filmmaking. And you get to Boston and, you know, right down the street from my dorm is the rat, the rat scaler. And I walked in and, you know, there's a good lead up. You know, there's the Boston Battle of the Bands. I walked in in 76, 77. And, you know, all of these bands, a lot of these bands that we're going to hear, the Neighborhoods, the Unnatural Acts, the Nervous Eaters, uh, La Peste, are all competing at the Rat um, for the Battle of the Bands. So uh, our next song here is the Nervous Eaters um, singing Loretta, Talk to Loretta. Um, It's kind of poppy, but it's definitely a little garagey. And it was sort of, uh, they call themselves the, they, they, they categorized themselves as the first punk band in Boston. I don't know if that's true. Uh, La Peste was out there pretty early and is a little more punky. But this song is definitely worth enjoying. After listening to this song, um, to me, there's like some influence, maybe New York Dolls, uh, Rolling Stones. Uh, these guys are definitely a, a, a rock band, and I mean, they got the chops. Um, what, one thing I noticed when I did a little research was that our good friend Ricky O, Rick Ocastic, uh, produced a 10-track demo for them. So he kind of helped push them along. You know, the, the cars had this studio right on Newbury Street uh, called Synchro Sound. And it was, you know, Newbury Street was the she-she street um, uh, in Boston. And they had this, um, they had this amazing um, studio. You, it was in the basement, you'd go down and, you know, they had like a, 
um, a lower level where David Robinson can play his drums and be like in a in a pit for the sound and you know all this great modern equipment at the time and they produced a lot of bands they produced like pylon and all sorts of bands you know and i really enjoyed that about them that they really took um you know they took the um engineering production just as seriously as their own music yeah i gotta say um just right up off the top um for me, this playlist, uh, the second half of the playlist is really kind of more in my lane. So I am, I am not, typically I'm not so much of a, like a boogie woogie rock and roll kind of guy. Um, so uh, the, the, the first half of this playlist isn't, I, I mean, I like it, but it's not resonating quite as much as some of the stuff um, that we're going to discuss uh, in the second half. Um, but this is this is definitely a, a rock and roll song to me. Yeah, to- absolutely. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And and, you know, I, again, they're included because they they were a fixture. You know, you'd yeah. go out on just any night and they played often. And, you know, everyone knew that song in Boston. Yeah. You know, the the next band I picked is another was another fixture in Boston, and I kind of I, I think they're sort of the Boston version of the Velvet Underground with a lot of their songs. Like I, I know you guys have played, uh, uh, so it's the Modern Lovers, yeah. Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers, which Jerry Harrison I believe comes from. Yep. Um, um, before he joined, he, the Modern Lovers had broken up, and then he joined the Talking Heads as the fourth member. Um, but they were a fixture there. Um, you know, a lot of their songs, um, um, now I'm spacing on the popular song, uh, Roadrunner, you know, all about the, you know, that Massachusetts uh, um, driving around uh, late at night. But I, they kind of have some quirky songs, which I like. Pablo Picasso was one of them. Yeah, this one that we're going to play is uh, Astral Plane. And, you know, they're just, he's a little bizarre, Jonathan Richmond. Like, and I yeah. like him because of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have, um, of, of the bands that we're going to talk about tonight, um, there's two, two of them that we have spent a fair amount of time uh, exploring already. So the cars, um, we're, we're not going to spend too much time talking about the cars because we just did a deep dive on the cars. And uh, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about their, their debut album. Uh, but the other band is the Modern Lover. So actually in the first two episodes of this show, we spend a fair amount of time talking about that band and we uh, play Pablo Picasso, Roadrunner, and I think one other um, so anybody who likes this, uh, we encourage you to go back to the first two episodes and um, check that out to hear more. Tonight I'm all alone in my room. I'll go insane if you won't sleep with me. I'll still be with you. I'm going to meet you on the Dark 
fan of Modern Lovers. Um, I don't think I really heard much of their music before we started the podcast. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've heard a song here or there. Pablo Picasso I'm, I was definitely familiar with, and I love that song. It's probably my favorite of theirs. Um, yeah. But I'm a big fan of the Velvet Underground, and to me, this kind of music right here kind of hits my spot, you know? This is, this is to me, the, the great stuff. I really do. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, uh, like, lyrically and what they're going for to me is like a, is like when Lou Reed writes those, you know, oh, it's a perfect day. Yeah. You yeah. know, just kind of like, you know, and it's sarcastic. It's not a perfect day. You know, the, the uh, boy or girl or whoever he's with is, you know, is not giving it up for him and it's like so it you know i i i i think that they're tr that they're influenced by by sort of that velvet underground kind of uh songwriting yeah. so the next song for me like <clears throat> so you know i described being at the battle of the bands and having uh you know, uh, the the nervous eaters and unnatural acts and the neighborhoods who we're going to get to. But this band, to me, was amazing. Because you didn't really hear, like listening to Beat on the Brat, Beat on the Brat, Beat on the Brat with a baseball bat from the Ramones, you didn't really, really hear songs better off dead, you know, where the lyrics are better off dead. And it's done really, really well. Um, they, to me, were a really amazing band. La Peste, um, uh, Peter Dayton was just this handsome guy, and Roger, the, their drummer, was just amazing on the drums. And um, they did songs like Better Off Dead. They have a song called Spy Master. There's a couple of pictures of my friend Lucia, who they got to like go-go dance for them at some of their shows. Um, Lucia Engelston, um, and those pictures are in my book, um, but they were just, you know, that's one of those moments where you walk into a little club and hear a song like that that was just, at the time, very unusual uh, to hear something like that. Yeah, well, I got to tell you, this is the uh, the first song on the playlist where musically, I love it. Um, I th This sound is is like absolutely working for me um they're they're obviously a very tight band you know there was a really unfortunate 70s punk thing um where it was I, I, I don't know what the deal was and it's it's really hard nowadays just because it's a different time a different era but the whole idea of grown adult men talking about having sex with 13-year-old girls. It's just, I, I, I know both Rob and I really struggle with this, you know, problematic lyrics um, mixed in with music that we just absolutely love. Um, what do you, how do you, What's your take on it? I mean, I, I guess for everybody, they kind of come to terms with it um, for themselves. But uh, is that something that you've you've struggled with over the years, going back um, to old favorites and kind of noticing 
problematic lyrics that that did, didn't seem like that big of a deal at the time or um I didn't notice. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, he, he, you know, like like Iggy Pop back then. He was he, you know, he was talking about having a thirteen year old girlfriend, and in this song, "Better Off Dead," it's all about him wanting to have sex with a thirteen year old girl. Well, well, um, I, I I'd like to interrupt. I'd like to interrupt yeah. that real quick. You can look at it as though it's about him wanting to have sex with a 13-year-old girl, or you could look at it as if somebody's being chased off from having sex with a 13-year-old girl. <laughs> Two perspectives there. No, I, you know, I just always got into the hook, and I didn't, you know, and I didn't yeah. realize that that was, uh, that that was part of, uh, um, you know, better, part of the lyrics. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's listen to the song. <laughs> And then yes. I, 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 I guess we can wrap up any last thoughts about that um, oh, when we come back. Because we're at La Peste right now, I kind of want to ask you or at least talk to you about uh, the rat, okay? Um, because the rat is mentioned in your book, you know, a few times, several times, because this is a place where you, you know, you hung out and you saw these people play. But I want you to talk about, like, your first time in the rat and what that experience was like and how old were you at the time? Uh, I was, I was probably, like... 18 you know 19 um it wandered down there you know i i went to school in 76 in boston and <clears throat> you know within a year or two i i wandered you know saw the crowds and went downstairs and the rat was the rat was like from a musical perspective was like cbgb's it 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 developed these bands and for some reason the record industry didn't take a lot of these bands seriously to begin with. But then when college radio broke a lot of this music, um, no one took Boston bands very seriously. I do not know why, right? It was just hard to get uh, uh, bands, uh, you know, uh, great bands like Mission of Burma and Human Sexual Response who are really have amazing sounds and did something really unique. Um, um, they didn't get record company attention. I, I, you know, I don't know why. I mean, obviously, no, you know, the music was broken by college radio stations that played the music to where the point, you know, to the point where uh, concert tickets were being sold, and then the the commercial radio stations had a look at this and go, hey, you know, maybe we should get on the bandwagon. WBCN was one of the first the K-Rock station, Boston, because they hired my friend, my, my dear friend, the DJ Oedipus, 
um, from WTBS, which became WMBR. But that was the first punk college radio show in the country. It was called the Late Risers Club. And all these great DJs came from there. But Oedipus really early on started doing... Um, um, you know, interviews with the Ramones and all of these bands. And and for a college radio station, they got a Nielsen rating. And it was like an unbelievable thing that happened. So, you know, college radio broke a lot of this stuff. And, and our local WMBR and all that would definitely play um, these local bands. So it, it, the Rat 2 was like, it was a pit. It was had a carpet. I went in there to do a photo shoot during the day. It smelled of like puke, beer, and smoke. Um, but upstairs was a an award-winning um, barbecue restaurant called the Hoodoo Barbecue. It was in Esquire as one of the 10 best new restaurants in America. And it was run by my friend Jimmy Ryan. And um, it, we all hung out there, like, you know, uh, the, the members of Till Tuesday and the Del Fuegos and, you know, the neighborhoods and everyone just hung out there. It was like I almost ate dinner there every night. So that was the upstairs in the rat. And the downstairs was like a dingy, horrible, smelly club where people got beaten up because it was like, you know, South, South Boston folks would come. Sure, sure. So um, the next band, DMZ, is is that a band that that played um, there regularly? Totally, absolutely, yeah. totally. They had, they weren't. They're not a band that uh, I had a personal connection with. A lot of these bands I had personal connections with, you know, um, um, you know, still friends with a lot of the members, but they were certainly a fixture in the scene. And what is the song from, uh, of theirs that we're going to listen to tonight? Um, the song is Do Not Enter. tell there's totally that 1960s influence um which you know it's not joseph's cup of tea the whole 90 or 1960s boogie woogie uh, rock <laughs> but but they're they seem to be a pretty decent band now there's i think a collection or they they're in a, a compilation album called live at the rat and i would be interested in, in taking a listen to that album just to see what's on there um you mentioned that they played pretty regularly there at the rat you know, they did. Uh, th this group of bands that, <clears throat> you know, the Nervous Eaters, Unnatural Acts, Neighborhoods, um, La Peste, they were regulars. You know, they were regulars. Everyone played around at the Rat. You know what I mean? Well, I, I, I do want to say that when I'm thinking about punk rock, the grungier, uh, t to me, the better. 
and uh, the rat or CBGBs, those kind of places really add a certain ambiance to the music. They they really kind of well, and in a way, these these places actually did kind of shape the the future of what music would be. Um, but at any rate, in your book, there is a photograph um, where there's a wall, and the wall says literally the rats have taken over the world and they mean real rats <laughs> i think that was at the rat i think that yeah. was the wall in the bathroom at the rat i mean you know we we talk about this in the book like you'd use the bathroom there and the door wouldn't close like you know so it was like every part of the experience was like rough you know it was just rough <laughs> sweet um so i added this next band because like um, like uh, the Standells, um, Willie Loco and Alexander and the, the Boom Boom Band had a song that was very endemic to Boston called Mass Ave, which is what we're, we're playing here. Um, but they were really a fixture. They were, they were a little, um, I guess they were of the generation of uh, modern lovers a little after, but they were really before the punk you know, the, the punk Boston scene. Um, this song was, Mass Ave was 78, but, but Willie was a fixture uh, a little before that and was a little more, little more of a straight-ahead rocker. Um, but, um, you know, I thought because it, was, because it was such a classic song, I added that to my playlist. Um, you know, w Willie was this, uh, you know... Tall, long hair, kind of, uh, kind of rock figure, and and I, you know, I wasn't, um, I don't think I've even ever seen them uh, live, but but really, this song always got a little, uh, uh, you know, a lot of airplay. Now, Michael, I think you're kind of burying the lead on this, right? Um, uh, this is uh, uh, Willie, Willie Loco Alexander. He is a former member of the Velvet Underground. I, I'm learning something else. I, 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 I only know yeah, Sterling he, Morris, Nico. He totally is. Um, Sterling Morris, Nico, Lou, um, John Cale. I didn't know he was in the Velvet Underground at one point. Uh, yeah, well, uh, okay. So maybe I better double check that. Can, can you confirm that, um, that, Rob? That was on, you, yeah, that was on my research as well. Okay. Man. Yeah. Okay, great. All right. Let's, uh, let's continue on. So I, I just assumed that that's why you included him because I know how much of a big Velvet Underground fan you are. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so I get to school you a little bit, which is uh, an unexpected <laughs> surprise. There, there, there we go. But at the same time, at the same time, his music is nothing like the Beatles. No, yeah, no, not at all. Like that was the. <laughs> that's why I'm. Uh, um, you know, a little, uh, uh, a, a little surprised. So, <laughs> okay, you wanna, you wanna move on to unnatural acts. What is the story of? And this is A X E, unnatural acts. Uh, what is this story with them? They sound, they sound very much like a jokey type of band. Is this uh, the song we're going to hear? Is this pretty typical of of what they would do? No, I, I mean the song we want to hear the, the the song they saved Hitler's brains. It it it, it definitely has that like um, you know that kind of B fifty twos kind of. Um, uh, what's a way to call it? I wouldn't call it necessarily call it jokey, but it's a uh, novelty, right? It's yeah, it's it's it's, mm-hmm. it's a novelty. But this was I, this was a good song because of the lyrics. You know, the beginning of this song's got you know the bar and hey, Fräulein, come here. And but the singer on this, so so this guy, the the lead singer was my friend Richie Parsons. And um, Richie, Richie was definitely a fixture, the redhead, good-looking young guy, lead singer of the band. Um, but on, uh, on this song, they have like some chick that sounds like uh, polystyrene. So it's like right. some you know, female vocalist is on this too, screaming you know, um, in the song. And it did remind me of um, of polystyrene and uh, and her band and I, I just I've always liked this song yeah I, I gotta say the first time I, I heard this song um, as I was going along and her voice came in I got really excited but then she only sings for a couple of bars and then it totally shifts gears again and then goes into the the meat of the song which i wasn't excited as excited about but uh, it's a it's a fun rambunctious song i imagine quite quite a lot of fun to see performed live totally totally it it sticks in your head too this tune (laughs) well these are the songs right these are the songs that that we all remember that were the first uh, you know underground kind of um, uh, punkish, you know, punk songs that came out. So. He's riding around in the back of a staff car. His body's gone, but his brain's in a glass jar. Thread on his life. They had to move quick. They removed his head, but not his prick. They saved Hitler's brain. They saved Hitler's brain. They saved Hitler's brain. They saved Hitler's brain. I was just, I was just thinking about uh, all the punk songs or the the tendencies of punk bands to kind of incorporate um, this whole Nazi imagery as kind of. Uh, I don't want to say a, maybe a parody or a, you know some sort of some sort of parody, and and this is done in a whole kind of seriously tongue in cheek seriously tongue in cheek way, <laughs> but but yeah it's totally catchy it gets stuck in your head and as soon as I heard it 
I I could not stop singing it, and that that kind of <laughs> dis- disturbed my wife there for a few minutes. <laughs> uh, so I uh, let let's just take a quick uh, little moment. So I, I just we we didn't mention this um, at the top, and uh, this is as good a time as any to mention it. We are we are more or less going in chronological order. So. Um, uh, with the exception of the Standells, we, we started in 1976, and right now we're up to um, uh, 1978. So that's just sort of a, a frame of reference. What we've heard so far is, covers a span of about two years of the, the, the development of the sound in the Boston scene. And there really is uh, an arc, you know, through this playlist, as I mentioned yeah. before. Um, I really like the second half um, a lot more than the first. I like the first half, but I really love the second half. And um, right here, right about um, the end of 78, 79, it feels like um, the the sound is, is maturing quite a bit, um, which uh, is kind of a perfect segue into the next song we're going to listened to by a band called the neighborhoods not not a band i was i was familiar with what what can you tell me about them michael um so there's a great picture of them in in my book punk post-punk new wave on stage backstage in your face i you know i had a photograph that they were they were um another institution in boston in the in the small club scene um, David Minahan was, you know, this charismatic, uh, like like Richie Parsons, charismatic personality on stage. Um, you know, the members of the band, uh, you know, played well. Um, you know, this isn't the punkiest song, Prettiest Girl, you know, and I think on the next one we'll start to get into just more eclectic sounds. But they were they were definitely a fixture. There's a great picture of them. Um, I, I, you know, I a lot of my assignments during this time were for Boston Rock Magazine and WBCN. A lot of the pictures from the, my punk book were, co- were coverage for those, for those magazines. And I think I had to do a portrait of them uh, for uh, Boston Rock. And I have them jumping in like a men's locker room. I have them all jumping in midair at the same time. It's kind of a cool shot. But, but they were, you know, they were another fixture. I felt like they really needed to be included. Yeah, this was one of the biggest surprises to me. Uh, this this particular song um, called "The Prettiest Girl." If if I had just heard it out of context, and you asked me what time period do, do you think this was from, I would have guessed the early '90s. It's um, it sounds, you know, as far as like alternative pop, it sounds pretty pretty far ahead of its time.
I, I want to start with uh, Michael. By the way, that is a great shot in the book of these guys. It it really feels like you were just you met them in a in a, in a hallway or something and, and shot their picture and they just <laughs> you know it was so natural even though they're jumping in the air. I just thought it was really cool. Um, but my my question I guess to you about this is, you know, Boston stations were playing this band quite a bit. Um, but what kind of play did they get? What kind of play did the neighborhoods get, like, around the country? Well, I, I mean, I think this is the problem that, uh, you know, I was talking about earlier, that a lot of these bands weren't taken seriously and were on local, and were on local, um, uh, you know, they were just on local labels, right? So um, I, I, I think that, I, I think that, you know, they didn't get a lot of play outside, you know, that that some of these bands had, you know, national record deals. Um, my friend's Human Sexual Response had uh, a national record deal um, with Don Rose, who started Ryko Disc. Um, he, he was their manager at one point, and uh, um, Mission of Burma until Tuesday had you know some national notoriety, but a lot of them didn't. The neighborhoods, I don't think, really got a lot of national record play, you know. And and our next band, uh, another local band, played a little Italian restaurant called Cantones all the time. I I have to be honest, I'm, you know, I'm. Picked her because I, I I loved them, but I also had a thing for the lead singer, Judy Grundwald. Like she had dark hair and bangs, and always wore these preppy clothes and sang like, a, a, you know, like she was a very enthusiastic singer. I wouldn't call her like spastic or, but she really put her heart out into it. Um, and I, I did. I always had a thing for her, so I included I included uh, one of her one of her songs here. Um, um, we've got, uh, we've got, I'm talking to you. And that was really the song. That was their big song. Yeah. I, this is a band, uh, of course I had never heard before and I, I wasn't familiar with this song. Um, it is really growing on me and I got to tell you the, I am particularly impressed with the, the, the musicality of it as far as the arrangements go. So there's this really nice dichotomy be, be, between the sort of the, the grungier, looser attitude, but yet there are some pretty sophisticated um, ideas musically going on, uh, which which really makes this like every time I hear it, it kind of gets under my skin a little bit more. Yeah, it, it's a great song. She and she really was great in. Um, she really was great, uh, it, you know, great performing, great on stage.
found nothing yeah. in this band, which is which is a real drag because I love this song and I I love the music. Uh, it's it's a it's a great choice. I just I want to hear more and I want to know more. Know more yeah, about yeah. Michael, do you do you have any idea? Did did they ever actually release an LP or was it just a kind of a couple of singles? Well, I, I I think with a lot of these bands, like I said, they didn't really get national attention. Yeah. So it's a couple of singles. It's an EP. I, I, I forget the guy's last name, but we had this guy, Rick, who had a record company and he did some of the local bands and he did that record. This is not New York. This is Boston. And he did the Mission of Burma records. He was like a real... Um, you know, sort of stoner audio engineer producer that really got into producing um, a lot of the local bands well and and getting their sound down. But, um, you know, it, he really helped um, the music scene with his label. Um, but a lot of them, you know, didn't make that label. I mean, it, it, it you're, you're talking still about a time where the music hadn't really uh, caught up right the music hadn't uh exploded in the commercial scene so this is all you know sort of underground you know underground and and when it's underground for us it's local uh, you know i i guess a lot of these bands would have would have had to play in new york to real get to get some real serious attention just a very quick sort of um uh note on uh the maps is Judy uh, then formed a band called Salem 66, which again was pretty much uh, a, a local band, um, but got started to get some local airplay. So, uh, so let's move on to uh, Peter Dayton. I was not expecting to hear some surf rock, but we get to hear some surf rock <laughs> now. Is this is this this song uh, that we're going to listen to today, the 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 perfect wave, is that typical or atypical of the rest of their catalog? Well, Peter was the lead singer of La Peste, and yeah. when La Peste broke up, um, when La Peste broke up, he, uh, you know, he um, he, he did this uh, other, you know, he I guess he wanted to show his uh, musical virility and show that he wasn't just a, a you know. Uh, spy master and better off dead kind of guy and but um, um, Peter this is definitely we were all kind of surprised when we heard this from Peter Tate <laughs> Too. I, I really liked um, the. I really liked the found of La Peste, and not that I'm against you know surf rock, but it, again, it wasn't what I was expecting. And this is actually a little harder yeah. surf rock. This is yeah. uh, 
this is almost again it's almost contemporary with today's music but they're trying to make it sound like you know something from the 60s um well they were like peter was like lapest i think was at the time the hardest of our local bands, you know, punk bands. I mean, you know, he, they had this driving song, Spymaster, and, you know, they, they, you know, so it was different to hear, and it was refreshing to hear from him, but he did have that edge, right? Yeah, well, the edge is here. It's, it, I mean, he brought it with him. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, Rob, I'm, I'm, I'm like you. The sort of ceiling of my love for surf rock is is pretty low, but this is an awfully credible um, uh, version yeah. of it. Uh, so a lot of a lot of fun. So so the next band no one is ever going to have heard of. Like they're they're ground zero. Um, I had a relationship with them because I was. Uh, you know, in 1978, I started uh, freelancing and I would pick up jobs for the Boston Phoenix. And the photographer from the real paper, which is the was the Cambridge-based weekly newspaper like LA Weekly, I worked for the Boston-based um, the Boston-based um, uh, weekly, um, the Boston Phoenix. It shows you what sort of like a college town we had that there were two weekly newspapers. Um, in Boston, but this this young photographer I dated for a while, Marcia Maglioni. We we would um, uh, and and she's in one of the bands down here. We were we went out for a while, and could, you know we would always met, meet at events and news coverage and press conferences. And she lived in this loft with these four guys that all lived like on a in a Thayer Street loft. Thayer Street is very well known for uh, grunge loft bands, uh, things like that. And Ground Zero was very experimental. The guys turned me on to a lot of stuff that I'd never heard of, like 808 State, you know, and I didn't know Kraftwerk and Gary Newman at the time. And they were really into a lot of interesting music and they blew my mind. And they were a pretty good band. I mean, the song, you know, we've got the song Ground Zero um, played by Ground Zero. Um, they would also have um, these incredible New Year's Eve parties, and they'd invite up from New York. So it, two years in a row, we had James Chance, James White and the Contortions, and James Chance, who was the same singer, I guess, with a different band. Um, they came up from New York, and Ground Zero opened for them, and all in their own loft like you know it was a it was a really interesting experience um um you know and 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 sort of a great uh environment to learn about new and interesting music well i gotta tell you of i i of course had never heard of ground zero before of all of the new bands that you've introduced me to um this is the one that i am the most excited about i love this now they they only released two eps and i have only heard one of the eps um which is ground zero uh we're gonna hear the the title track from that in a second um but i i i gotta tell you all four of the songs off that ep i love there there are so surprising they are doing completely unexpected things like every 10 or 15 seconds, but yet somehow 
it's it's cohesive enough not to lose me. Um, so this is, I would, I got to figure out how I can get my hands on, um, you know, these EPs because um, I am very excited about about this band. They they were great. There's a great picture of of Jeff, the bass player. Uh, of course, now forty some odd years later, <clears throat> I forget everyone's name. Uh, Michael was the uh, the lead singer, and Jeff was the bass player. And there's a great picture of Jeff playing bass in the in the Thayer Street in their Thayer Street loft. Um, you know, doing a show in their own space. So um, that picture's in my new punk book, punk, uh, post-punk, new wave. Joseph, I listened to that EP and was blown away. Yeah. I really love this. Um, I gotta say, I gotta say though, it's you know going from Peter Dayton to Ground Zero, it's like 1980 hit, <laughs> and music changed all over. I mean, it just it just became totally a totally different creature. Um, it, it's really cool. You know, they're dark and they're grungy, and and yet they they stick together. I mean, it's you know they're solid. This is good stuff. Yeah, they they were they were great. But but speaking of going all over the place, right? Speaking of like the range that came out of uh, Boston at the time. I, I mean, it, it's just like the title of the book, right? Punk, post-punk, new wave. It was it was all of it, right? Um, so the next one I picked is from a band I was very very close to, still very close to uh, two of the singers. It was it was a octet. Um, it, you know, uh, uh, guitar, uh, Rich Gilbert on guitar, Malcolm on drums, and uh, I forget his name, Chris on bass. But it was four lead singers. Deanie, um, uh, his brother Larry, they're both from Bangor, Maine. Casey Cameron, and now I'm spacing on the other, uh, oh, and Wendell Davis, who's Deanie's partner. Um, they did some incredible harmonies. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Before we, I have, have you actually said the name of the band? I don't. I don't think so. We're, we we are talking about human sexual response. That's right. The band is yes. human sexual response. They got the name from the Masters and Johnson study, which they thought would be clever. Some of you <laughs> might know some of their songs, like. I want to be Jackie Onassis. I want to wear yeah. dark sunglasses. You know, K Casey Cameron comes on and sings that um, as if she's Jackie screaming, I want to be Jackie Onassis. So that got like a little national airplay. They, they decided they didn't need their manager. And I think that that was a strategic career mistake because they, they made a brilliant record. And, and again, it was just hard to 
Um, it was just hard to get people to take Boston bands seriously, but they are, you know, besides being, uh, Deanie and Wendell being close, dear friends, they were just amazing. And I love this song. The harmonies on uh, Marone Moan are just brilliant. So, you know, here it is, human sexual response with uh, Marone Moan. Yeah, so this is this is one of the few bands on this list that I was somewhat familiar with. Unfortunately, they only released one full LP, but when we get to it chronologically, we will definitely cover it. So I'm I'm looking forward to that and getting more familiar yeah. with their catalog. And this came out this came out in 1980 I think right Yeah they came out in 1980 I was sort of their official photographer so they were on the old gray whistle test in in London and in England and we um went out to uh the studios there and recorded the uh, uh, you know um recorded uh t the them on the TV show I followed them all around we'd go drive down to the mud club uh, you know I was sort of their official photographer there's a lot of great pictures of them in the book the other, you know, the other really great song with um, um, harmonies, Land of the Glass Pine Cones, is worth checking out and listening to. Their whole album is on Spotify. So. Mm -hmm. So the next band, Bound and Gagged, is my second, uh, like, flipping out love this band um so the 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 two bands that are really doing it for me ground zero and bound and gagged are really obscure like not on spotify not on wikipedia like you can find a couple of videos on youtube and that's just about it as far as i can tell um yeah that what that's it i mean so so it was it was an all-female band. My mm -hmm. ex-girlfriend, the photographer, Marcia Maglioni, decided she was going to pick up an instrument, that, and she's never played an instrument in her life. Most of the members of the band never played an instrument in their life. So the first few shows were, like, kind of raw, but um, they were raw. They were raw in a good way. And the video here uh, from YouTube is, you know, they, they sound a little more um, polished. This is... This is, uh, 
you know, a, a couple of years later after they've been playing and, you know, they, they've, they've got, they, they've learned how to play their instruments, but they, they had that edge, you know, it was a yeah. all female band where they, where they had something to say and they said it. I thought it yeah. was great. Yeah. So, um, did they ever record any studio stuff or was it, were they just purely live did they did they not get that far as far as going into the studio and, and I, cutting some tracks i don't know if they had a single or not remember you know this was the this was the day of cassette tapes too yeah, so yeah. so there might have been a cassette tape made and it wasn't pressed and um mm -hmm. but you know they're definitely the edgier they're like ground zero they're the sort of the edgier band that you probably had never heard of but was but's worth listening to yeah, well, they've got a really cool, very specific sound um, that is totally working for me. Now, unlike Ground Zero, I think that they, they like pick a lane and stick to it, at least in this um, this concert that I viewed. But it's, it's, a, it's a great sound. I was kind of like mulling over how I would describe it. And I think basically what I came up with if um, Susie and the Banshees, the B-52s, and um, X-Ray Specs got together and formed a jam band, this, <laughs> right. this, this might be what they would sound like. Um, like. Like really complex rhythms, the, the songs that work for me the, the most, they were, it was like all the band members were doing something rhythmically, which was really cool. Um, so let's listen to uh, the song Black Sand. On the beach! It's got me going, man. Where are all the the, the female fronted? Forget the female fronted. Where are all the bands that are that are all female bands? I mean, this it, it, it makes total sense, you know, that you say they were a new band, they didn't know how to play their instruments. I was telling Joseph earlier, some of these bands are really really rough, and by rough, I mean like that word raw that you used. And to me, that is like what I love about them. You know, yeah, they... for sh yeah, for sure. You know, they were a small club band. There's a there's a great photograph uh, of them in, at Cantones, and you can see, you know, you can see the styles, and you know, it's it's pulled back a little bit uh, in my punk book. It's pulled back a little bit, but they were they were definitely raw. You know, really well, raw. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I want to I want to push back a little bit on this because um, they're at least so I am only familiar with that one video, which is the the um, concert. Alicia, um, yeah. yeah, so there there are some songs where they are 
pushing the limits, um, you know, very avant-garde sort of like art noise stuff. But, and so they're raw in that sense, but I, I would say that they are also really quite tight. Um, rhythmically, they, they, they've got their groove. It's not, it's not that they're sloppy at all, right. which, yeah, which right. I really appreciate. So the, the energy is really high, but they are in control of what they're doing, which um, is kind of like that's the perfect combination for me. It, it, took, well, them give, while, given... it took them a while to get there. <laughs> but, yeah. but Given yeah, the sure. fact that they didn't know how to play instruments two years before, I'd say that's a, quite an accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah, they were, they they were, you know. I wanted to mix this in with bands that, you know, were iconic at the time, that were interesting, and and you know, having the extreme of interesting, and I think Bound and Gagged is is one of them. The, yeah. the next the next band, uh, other than the band after it, um, was both a cult, I think, like an international cult favorite around the world. Yeah, iconic. Yeah. So, yeah. so Mission of Burma. Um, it's interesting because I, I, for me, I'm working with uh, Peter and Roger, uh, Roger Miller and Peter Prescott, two of the members. Um, um, you know, they broke up because they played so loud and it was so sonic that a lot of them had hearing loss. But they, they, um, they made these amazing, amazing songs, and they definitely had a sound that was tight and professional and unusual. You know, there were songs like "That's When I Reach for My Revolver." The song was probably called "Revolver," but but they are amazing. I I've commissioned them to do six soundscapes for the uh, the, the body of work is called "Days of Punk." Um, because the book name is too freaking long. Um, um, but I commissioned them to do soundscapes in the gallery and museum shows, and they're just brilliant. They created uh, three or four so far. You know, they've got like ambient, it's not music, they, they're, they're, it's like ambient sound and, you know, crowd noises, and they've done these soundscapes that are all different and really brilliant. And at the time, they were just like, we just were blown away by them. So um, the song I picked was Peking Spring. It's a little different from the other ones you might have known, like Revolver and, uh, and some of the, the songs that you know they had that were semi-hits. They weren't huge, but um, they definitely have a following. And people, uh, you know, I know people around the world, when I speak of them, um, have heard of them. So... Mission of Burma to, to pop 
pop up and i'm glad that you chose this song it, they're obviously a punk band and and 1981 is still political and it's punk rock and that's that's kind of cool yeah but i i think I, I think that their sound also matched sort of the energy and the, and the the lyrical voice right i think their sound really um was so you know sonically strong you know i don't know if that's the the word for it but it was like a little bit of a wall of sound that was really interesting okay oh it's time to move on i'm not i'm not too excited about this one <laughs> well all right all right i had to include them i yeah. was sort of i was sort of um i know it's pop and i know what you guys are you know what you guys love um this 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 was the breakout band of Boston, though. This yeah. was the band that made MTV and at the time and became a national phenom. And, and you know, Joey Pesci and Robert, the guitarist, and, and Amy Mann, we'd all hang out at the Hoodoo Barbecue. I, was, I went on the road with them as their photographer. I shot them for the cover of the Boston Herald magazine because at this point I was on staff at the Boston Herald. Um, it was just great to see finally a Boston band Breakout, and we are we are talking about till Tuesday. Till Tuesday, yes. yes. So, so sorry, and <laughs> and we are playing the voices carry song. So in the 90s, one of my very favorite artists was Amy Mann. And I got to tell you, it absolutely blew my mind when I connected the dots back to Tell Tuesday. Um, because I just never would have guessed. I, I, <laughs> I am a, a real lover of her solo stuff in the 90s. Um, but I, I got to tell you, this... The Till Tuesday stuff. I haven't heard all of their albums, but I, I have heard the first one. I just doesn't doesn't do anything for me personally. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. It's got you know, it's got the uh, that that historic. Uh, it, it's a historic benchmark, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And and it's we had, we had all wished that our friends like you know. HSR, Human Sexual Response, and Mission of Burma's Mission of Burma, La Peste, had broken out. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. But they broke out, and it was like we were all so happy and proud of them. You know? Yeah. So we haven't played anything really hard, <laughs> and these guys, they, 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 they're. You know, there's a lot of coverage of them in the book. I photographed them for the WBCN 
rock and roll calendar. I've shot some of their shows. You know, uh, we've got uh, you know members of Gangrene smashing uh, organs and uh, or piano. I don't know. I don't remember what it is. And I put um, I put that what was very popular at the time that colored zinc oxide on their faces, and they hated it. They thought they looked ridiculous, so they smeared it all over themselves trying to get rid of it. And the photograph in the book. There's not a lot of color in the book, but that photograph in the book with the with the zinc oxide smeared and muted on their faces that actually kind of made the picture. But but here we are with Gangrene and the song Alcohol, and I think you know we needed something hard, and this is pretty hard, right? Yeah. Snorting and drinking. That's what this song is about. Um, <laughs> but it's a great tune. Yeah. I, I often like songs about drinking alcohol. I don't know why. It's the rowdiness of it. But I have to say, Michael, I watched the video to this song and they're drinking they're drinking a lot of Budweiser, which tells me that I'm really glad for our choices today in alcohol and beer specifically <laughs> they were they were definitely like a working class band if you know yeah. what i mean it's like mission yeah. was mission you can tell you know what the, the guys were like prep school guys and peter dayton was a prep school guy you know la peste was the, the the band name comes from a camus uh the plague a camus book like they were sort of the intellectuals gangrene were you know working class street you know I love them. So, so Michael, there there are uh, a number of other um, Boston bands that are worth mentioning. We're not going to include any music because they're either kind of outside of our time range or everyone's familiar w- with them. I noticed that you don't have the band Boston on here. Definitely not. That's part of the inauthentic, the inauthentic hair band bullshit. I mean, they were in doing my research too, a couple of other bands, some I knew, some I didn't know. The Dresden Dolls, I didn't know, didn't have enough time to play them. Of course, later after I left Boston in 87, the Pixies became, you know, sort of a phenom nationally. But one of one of my all-time favorite bands. Yeah, they're love amazing. Love the they're Pixies. Amazing. Yeah. You know, but a, a band of note and and musically they were a little um, uh, more straight ahead. But the Del Fuegos also had their moment in the sun. They did a Miller commercial. They were on MTV a lot. I think we're gonna go out with something that we all think is kind of fun, right? Mm-hmm. We we've got Gangrene singing "Voices Carry." on our way out. Is there other business that needs to be talked about before we... Uh... Other than walking into a bookstore and and going up to the counter and pounding your fist and saying, I want this book, how where, where can people go to um, check it out? Well, I mean, it's right on Amazon. You know, the, yeah. the, it's the longest title in, uh, in book publishing history. Um, 
the the editor wanted it to be descriptive, which it is. It's punk, post-punk, new wave, on stage, backstage, in your face, 1978 to 1991. So, um, it, you know, you can get it on Amazon. It's a, it's, it's, you know, it was published by Abrams, so it's, um, it's widely available. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I, I think Rob, your bookstore has it, right? Yes, our bookstore has it. Um, I don't know. Is it is it okay to plug our bookstore here? <laughs> sure, why not? If if you're um, plugging my book too, I'm down with I, that. I guess so. Yeah. So some of you might know. I, I mentioned it before that my day job is working in a bookstore on the coast, um, but we are selling the heck out of Michael's book right now. So um, you can also catch that book on gallerybookshop.com. So you don't have to go into the store. You can just go to the website. Well, and um, you guys are one of the few bookstores we've given signature plates to, which is the yeah, new, so you can get a signed copy. new way of doing book signings virtually. Very nice. So, our, Rob, our next episode is November of 1978. Um, yeah. And when all is said and done, you know, years down the road, once we've gone all the way through to 1986, examining every single month, um, we will look back and we will determine, like, the best month for punk and new wave. I have no idea what that's going to be. But I can tell you, November of 1978, it's got to be a real contender. I mean, it's got to be close. Yeah, up, up until this point... No other month comes close to the releases that we're going to be talking about next episode. So once again, that'll be the second Sunday of next month. And um, I am super excited. Yeah. So much good music coming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. Well, thanks. I, you know, we found this. It's been a team effort. You guys have been amazing also. And, and in doing a little bit of our research tonight, just before the show, we found this great gangrene song covering Voices Carry. Awesome. Okay, everybody, we will talk to you in a couple of weeks. All right, see ya. In the dark, I like to